Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 56 of the Benzo Free Podcast. This is a special episode of the podcast today. I guess I've been doing a few special episodes lately. This is our smile episode, and if it works, it might even become the first of many. We'll, we'll see how it goes. The goal of the smile episode is to share mostly positive messages throughout the entire episode. That's it. No big fancy agenda or complex tapering schedules. No list of symptoms or timelines for healing. No trigger warnings of any kind. Just positive stories to help lift our spirits. This is something that's been asked for in the emails I've been receiving. So, I really hope you like it. And in the spirit of good things and positivity, I do want to share some changes and future additions to Benzo Free this year here in the introduction. Not a lot of details here, but at least a few teasers so you kind of know what to expect and what's been going on here at Benzo Free. This week, we just launched our new homepage for the website. You can check it out at, yes, you guessed it, benzofree.org. Over the coming month or two, I will be updating the back pages of the site, too, to fit in with the new design and, well, update their content. <laughs> A new section that we'll be adding to the website this year will be Benzo Stories. Yes, the same section that we've been covering in our podcast since its beginning. This new section will include all the Benzo Stories we have shared on the podcast, plus some that we haven't. And they will all be available for your reading pleasure at your leisure. Another section that will be getting a complete overhaul is our book section, which right now includes only my book. <laughs> That was pretty selfish of me, wasn't it? This section is going to be expanded into what I like to call the Benzo Free Library. As much as I'd like for people to read my book, there are so many other great books out there which people need to know about. I hope you'll like that edition. I'm excited about that one. And those are just a few of the changes that will be coming to the website this year. As for the podcast, I'm in the process of developing the Benzo Free Roundtable. This will be a group of people from the Benzo community who will be featured on the podcast every month or two to discuss topics and answer questions about Benzos, dependence, withdrawal, and much more. And we here at Benzo Free are also active in regional and national legislative action, setting up Benzo-specific withdrawal clinics, and raising awareness across the globe. Now, most of the ideas for these enhancements and additions have come from you, the benzo-free community, and they are only the beginning. But there's a lot to be done, and I need help. 
I'm just one person here. Some of you have already donated your talents and efforts to the Benzo Free community, and I am beyond grateful for that help. But this is a big list of things to do. If you want to learn more about lending your skills to what we are doing here, just let me know. And you can learn more about opportunities by going to benzofree.org support contribute. And I guess this brings me to another topic, one I've been avoiding for a long time. I know this is the smile episode, and this part may not make all of you smile, but it's something whose time has come. And as much as it feels like pulling teeth for me, I have to address it. If you took a look at the new homepage on the website, or maybe a few of you are looking at it right now, you might have noticed a few new links towards the top of the homepage. No, not the one that says listen, keep going. No, not the one that says subscribe, one more over. Ah, now you see it. Yes, it's the dreaded donate button. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> I, was, I just had to add that there. Um, anyway, and this is when everyone turns their phone off, headsets get yanked out of ears, or people quickly fast forward to skip this entire introduction section. <laughs> and I don't blame you. I might have done that too. But for those few of you who are still here, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> No, in all seriousness, this isn't that bad. I promise you, no PBS pledge drive here. Trust me, I hate this part more than you do. Honestly, I hate this. But if you give me just a minute or two, I'll explain what's going on and it will be all over with. The truth is, in the past few weeks, I've had a few people reach out to me and ask if they could donate financially to what we do here at Benzo Free. Trust me, this was a big surprise, a very pleasant big surprise. I wish I could say that accepting donations here has never crossed my mind, but then I would be lying, <laughs> so I ain't going to do that. The thing is, finding a way to fund what we do here at Benzo Free has been on my mind for over a year now. Actually, ever since its inception. Here's the thing. Benzo Free loses money every month <laughs> and has for over a year. We have expenses, startup and monthly expenses, and almost no revenue stream. Not the best business model, I know. I need to work on that. The only source of revenue for Benzo Free is the sale of my book, and that doesn't even start to cover a small percentage of our costs. Now, perhaps the if-you-build-it-they-will-come method of business isn't the most financially stable, but... <laughs> I truly believe in what we are doing here, and I know there is a way to make it work. One of the things I love about Benzo Free is that it is a community and has been from its beginning. And it is free and open to everyone. And more than anything else, I'd like to keep it that way. So I thought I'd try to see what would happen if we started accepting donations. Thus, I set up a donations form on the website at benzofree.org donate, which currently accepts PayPal and offline donations. Other payment types will be added over time. Now, we've already had a few donations, which just amazes me. I haven't even advertised it yet, and I thank those people sincerely. But for everyone else, if you like what we do, and it has been helpful to you, and you have some extra cash that you're willing to part with, 
Every little bit helps. Now, that being said, the last thing I would want is for anyone to feel pressured in any way to donate. Many of you don't even have the funds to pay your rent or already donate to other causes and groups or already donate your time to Benzofree or other organizations. Please, the only reason I set this up is so that if you want to donate and have the funds to do so, you can. And that there is a straightforward, secure way to do that. Look, I promised full disclosure, so this is me. As I like to say far too often, warts and all. Much like so many of you, I've been out of work for about three years now. I spent 40 to 50 hours a week on benzo-free. And even though my wife's income manages to keep food on the table, we're stretched thin. And most of all, it's just not fair for her to carry the emotional and financial burden of me and my condition anymore. I'd like to help out. So once we pay the bills here at Benzofree and cover our debts, I would like to start to provide some modest compensation to those who have been donating their time. Yes, that includes me, but it also includes anyone else who has contributed to the Benzofree community. That's the dream, and I'm hopeful it will come true. And that's about it. Even though we are not a charity, all funds donated to Benzofree go to Benzofree to help keep it, well, free and growing. I've provided an FAQ about where the money goes at the bottom of the donations page, which should answer most of your questions if you have them. Just scroll down to see it. Okay, thanks for letting me talk about that for a bit. That was hard. <laughs> this is just not something I'm comfortable doing. <laughs> But I promise to try and keep this brief, and my time is up. So, moving on. Today we return to our normal format, for the most part. We have our introduction, which you just heard, <laughs> followed by a few Benzo stories, our feature, and close out with our moment of peace. There is no mailbag today, since most of the questions we received aren't necessarily smile questions. <laughs> Our feature and most of the entire episode today is focused on positive messages to help you feel better and to help you find your smile. That's it. I hope you like it. But we still need feedback as always. Questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, additions. This is your podcast and the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes a community it was designed to be. So please tell us what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org or comment directly on the podcast blogs themselves for others to see. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And one last thing, the Benzofree podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you're listening to this podcast and one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This helps new listeners find us. Now, let's take a look inside our Benzo Stories. Since today is our Smile episode, our Benzo Stories section will be update stories with happy endings. Some of these stories will talk about struggles at times, but the overall messages will be that of success and healing. And for that, I must thank you, our listeners, for hearing the call and sending in some positive stories to share. 
Please, keep them coming. All of them. The good ones, the bad ones, anything that describes your struggles or what you've gone through with Benzo withdrawal. Our first story is from Rick in Charleston, South Carolina. Rick and I have been emailing back and forth since June of last year. That's a while. Rick has been a huge supporter of Benzofree and a friend to me along the way. I originally shared Rick's story back in episode 29 of the podcast titled Tight, Tense, and Twitching, Muscular Symptoms in Benzo Withdrawal. Rick recently sent me a short email with some updates, and I wanted to share them with you on the podcast. I asked him if it would be okay, and he graciously agreed. Now, his message does start out a bit dark, sharing about his anger and the time he lost, which I know many of us relate to. But then he moves on to his current success. Rick writes, Good morning. I listened to your latest podcast. It hit home with me. I am angry, and I don't know why. I think mainly I am mad about the time I lost. My job of 21 years, my house I lost, my friend who thought I was crazy. In general, I am pissed off that this happened to me, and nobody believes me. Still, I have gotten better six months free, and I find myself going so fast trying to make up for lost time. How I got better was one foot in front of the other, baby steps, small victories. Yes, I could not leave the house at times, but I started Ubering. Uber made me think. I had to plan where I was going to pick someone up and to get them to their destination. I was a VP of an engineering firm prior to this happening. I could not process or even think about doing that again. But slowly, each day, my mind healed. A year later, I have started a consulting business that supports three engineering firms. Not only am I healed, but I have stepped out in faith and I am doing things I could never imagine. Because I have faced hell, and I survived. Thank you so much, Rick, for sharing this update with others. To hear someone say they are healed is huge, and could go a long way in raising our spirits. Rick is finding his way back, and things look bright. The anger is understandable, something I carried for a long while, and still have glimpses of every now and then. It's hard not to focus on the time we have lost. But then you can remind yourself that it's all behind you now. What a wonderful feeling that is. Thanks, Rick. I really appreciated your friendship. Keep in touch. Our second story is from Heather in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We originally shared Heather's story back in November of last year. Then, much like Rick, Heather emailed me with an update. She was finally benzo-free. I wrote back and asked if I could share her message with our listeners. And she not only agreed, but she wrote back a detailed update story for me to share today. Heather writes, I was on three milligrams of Ativan a day for two years and I just completed a six-month taper using the Ashton method. I did a tri-taper using a nail file and a digital scale, 
and worked my way down to 0.02 milligrams, where I jumped off completely. The main tools I used to survive tapering was exercise and diet. I went walking in nature as much as I could, and to the gym when weather was bad. I started eating a high-quality protein diet. I made an omelet every morning while I listened to your podcast. For lunch and dinner, I was eating steaks, salmon, and shrimp. <laughs> Goodbye savings account. When I went out in the world, I packed a bento box filled with protein snacks. My favorites were cube steak, goat cheese, deviled eggs, grapes, almonds, and chocolate. I never went anywhere without protein on hand because when symptoms hit, I found eating protein helped enormously. I also used organic peppermint oil, which I carried in my purse and had beside my bed. When stomach trouble hit, I put a few drops on the back of my hand and inhaled deeply. This worked wonders. I also tried my best to let people know what was happening to me. I told my family doctor, my therapist, and my friends what I was going through, and asked them to remind me this would pass, which it has. I can't believe I made it. Within 48 hours of stopping benzos completely, I felt incredible. My vertigo and nausea vanished. So did all my terrible bathroom problems. They just stopped. My light and sound sensitivity have vastly improved. Now, I am very, very tired, but I don't feel sick. I, I think the tiredness comes from my brain relearning how to interpret the world. And every day, I feel a little bit stronger. I burst into tears when I walked around the lake for the first time in two years, benzo-free. I now know which symptoms were from benzo tolerance and which symptoms were from withdrawal. All of my tolerance symptoms are gone. Practically overnight, they're just gone. It's like the nightmare has ended and the sun came out. Being off benzos has been a joy, a relief. I feel so much better and have so much hope for the future. I pray that everyone listening hangs on, rides out the symptoms, and remembers as long as you go slow and refuse to backtrack, you will make it to the other side. I will keep you updated as I continue my healing journey, which you, D, have been so much a part of. Listening to your podcast kept me sane, educated me, and let me know I was not alone. And for people going through this hell, knowing you're not alone and that better days are ahead is everything. So much love, Heather in Minnesota. Okay, I, I need a minute after that one. Oh, Heather, thank you so much for that story. The stories like Heather's are far more common than most of us think far more common. Unfortunately, most people don't come back and share their successes with us, as I've told you, and as Heather did. People do become benzo-free and have very few symptoms when they do. This is the majority of people. Heather had a wonderful message in her story, and I am so glad she shared it with us today. 
Thank you, Heather. And yes, please keep in touch. We all want to know how you are doing. And our final story is from Sarah in Forest Grove, Pennsylvania. Much like Rick in our first story, I've been corresponding with Sarah for over seven months now. Her ongoing feedback, comments on the podcast posts, and emails have been a wealth of support and information for us. Sarah recently commented online to podcast episode 53, titled, Online or Offline, Managing Triggers in Benza Withdrawal. Her comment was so upbeat that I decided to share part of it here on today's podcast. Sarah writes, Hi, D. Listening today made me feel I had to share. I am down to 2.35 milligrams of Valium from 20 milligrams last May. I am doing well. I actually went out to a large, noisy, dressy party on Sunday night, ate food I don't usually eat, drank a glass of white wine watered down, and I had to talk to a bunch of other actors I hadn't seen in a year or more. I had a great time. So glad I went. It really made me happy. Now, I did pay a little on Monday for food choices, but hey, it was only one day and well worth it. We can get our lives back. I am doing really well. The lower I go, the better I feel. I expect to be done by my birthday on March 19th. Sure, I do have a few symptoms, but they are all manageable. I can work again part-time and get out. Most nights I sleep well. I take 5-HTP, melatonin, and L-theanine. They do help me. So I feel pretty good. Anyway, wanted to let you know at this point I consider my benzo story positive. I am making it and expect to be healed quickly once I am off. Thank goodness. We'll be burning pill bottles and scales on March 19th. Love, Sarah. Oh, great update, Sarah. And I'm so glad to hear that you are doing well. That is amazing. Thanks for sharing this update with us. It's something we all need to hear more often. And I love the joy and the positivity in your voice. It comes through on your comments, and I'm so glad that you share that with us. Please keep in touch, and if I don't talk to you before then, happy birthday. And don't forget, I'd still like to hear your Benzo story, all stories. So please visit our feedback form at benzofree.org feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. Now, let's move on to our feature. And there's Bear. Hey, Bear. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Well, come over here and see me. <laughs> what you doing? <laughs> oh, it's good to see you, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for the little detour there. As my dog came down to say hello to me, and, and he helps out when I record sometimes and curls up right here next to my desk. So I can't complain. Life is good when you have a dog laying next to you. It's that simple. And maybe that's a good way to start the feature. That wasn't written, but there it was. <laughs> anyway, our feature today is, well, a bit vague, I guess. I just wanted to focus on positivity. Thus, I thought I'd share some random tidbits, facts, reminders, words, and especially some stories. You know, we learn more from stories than almost anything else in our lives. 
We are entertained by stories. We, we teach our kids with stories. And we host podcasts with stories. So today for our feature, I will share some information and a few stories. Some are from something I read or heard. Some are from my own life. And some are from you. Some are about benzos and withdrawal, and some are not. But I hope at least a few of them help put a smile on your face, because, well, that's what the purpose of this episode is. Let me know what you think. If this whole experiment fails, then we won't do it again. And if it succeeds, then we will. So come along with me on this journey, and let's see if we can brighten your day just a little. I'd like to open with a story. Many, many moons ago, yours truly was on a skiing trip. I was living in Kansas City at the time, and some friends of mine drove out with me to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, for some epic skiing. <laughs> five guys, one girl, on a road trip for five days of skiing. When we arrived in Steamboat, the sun was shining, and the valley was this pristine virgin white. It was gorgeous. We checked into our condo, bought some groceries, and got ready for the next day. That night, the snow started, and it didn't stop for a couple of days. By the next morning, we had knee-deep powder on the slopes. When we were in the chairlift, we couldn't even see the slope below us. There was so much snow coming down. By the afternoon, the powder was up to our waists. Now, skiing in waist-deep powder is one of the great thrills in one's life. It doesn't happen very often, and it is amazing. But it is also dangerous. The first time I went to the hospital on this trip was to go with my friend Todd. <laughs> he wiped out on a blue run and broke his collarbone in two places. That was the end of the ski trip for him. The rest of the time, he just had to hang out in the condo heavily medicated. The second time I went to the hospital was with Kevin, who tore a ligament when he got tangled up in one of those orange mesh fences they put up to slow down your skiing. I guess it didn't work in his case. When the ski patrol guy started to tell me where the hospital was, I said, no need. I know where it is. But the real story here starts when I was in the hospital waiting room, waiting on Kevin. That's when I met this kid, about 12 or so, sitting in a chair across from us, and he was smiling. One of the biggest grins you'd ever see. Eventually, I made eye contact with him and asked him how he is. And when he started to speak, it was really hard to understand him. He had this profound lisp, and it wasn't long until we understood why. The boy eagerly started to tell his story. You see, he was doing a bit of tree bashing. That's our term for skiing on trails between the trees. When he got his ski caught under an exposed root. This sent his body flying forward. And as we often do, he opened his mouth without thinking and stuck out his tongue. Now, he never saw the branch coming. <laughs> but he quickly knew he was in trouble. Just then, as the kid is telling this story to us, he opened his mouth wide, stuck out his tongue, and there were four stitches right down the middle of it. 
He went on to tell the rest of the story that he was yelling for help on the slope and how long the ski patrol took to get there, the arduous process of removing bits of wood and cleaning the wound, and how long and hard his healing process would be. But he did all of that with a smile on his face. I I asked him if it still hurts, and he said, like hell. But again, with a smile on his face. And then he put his tongue back in his mouth and sat down with an obvious sense of deep inner satisfaction. Now, 30 years later, I still carry this story with me. Not because of the extremely bizarre nature of his injury, and it is bizarre, but because of his attitude. I learned a significant lesson that day from a 12-year-old kid. He was happy because he had a story to tell and he couldn't wait to tell it. That was his perspective and it made everything better. You know, one of the most common complaints I hear from people, especially people outside of the Benzo community, is how bad life is these days. So many people think that life is worse now than ever before. I mean, it's easy to come to that conclusion. Just look at the news. Read your digital media feed. Talk with your neighbors and gossip with friends. Or listen to one stump speech. It doesn't matter on which side during a political election cycle. Terrorism, school shootings, obesity, health care costs, eroding freedoms, cancer, climate change, extinction of species, poverty, illiteracy, inequality, viral pandemics, and on and on. I know this is a smile episode. I better stop this list now. (laughs) But it's quite clear by this list that our world is going downhill fast. Isn't it? When I was researching my book, I came across the website Our World in Data. This is a wonderful resource for statistical data around the globe and is trusted by the BBC, New York Times, CNN, The Wall Street Journal, Harvard, Stanford, Cambridge, Oxford, and so many others. It contains over 3,300 charts across 297 topics and is a wealth of information for anyone doing research. Go check it out. You might be interested to see what you find. You can find it at ourworldindata.org. Anyway, Back to the topic at hand. By most statistical measures, our lives are significantly better, if not staggeringly so, than at any other time in human history. Don't believe me? Let's look at a few quick stats. And this is just a very brief sampling. I mentioned some of these all the way back in episode four of the podcast, but I think it's worth repeating some of them here again. In the 1300s, the bubonic plague wiped out one-third of the entire human race. One-third. By today's numbers, that would equal approximately two and a half billion people. Today, we have either eradicated or significantly reduced the effects of polio, smallpox, tuberculosis, cholera, the Spanish flu, and the bubonic plague. In 1800, 88% of the world population was illiterate. In 2014, that number was less than 15%. From 1981 to 2013, 
the global population living in absolute poverty dropped from 44% to less than 11%. From 1994 to 2014, the number of U.S. victims of violent crime per capita decreased by a whopping 75%. And yet, most people believe crime is actually getting worse. In the beginning of the 19th century, no country in the world had a life expectancy longer than 40 years. In 2019, the United Nations estimates that the global average life expectancy is 72.6 years. In the vast majority of human history, about 27% of newborns died in the first year of life, and 46% died before they reached adulthood. Just think about that. If you had a child back then, the odds were about 50-50 that they would never make it to be an adult. Today, only about 3% of newborns die in their first year and about 5% die before they become an adult. Most of those gains happened in just the past 100 years. Today, many of us have access to air conditioning, airplanes, automobiles, dishwashers, electricity, indoor plumbing, the internet, lawnmowers, microwave ovens, paved roads, radio, TV, video games, and so many other labor-saving, time-saving, life-saving, and pleasure-inducing inventions. There are a thousand more stats I would love to share, but I hope I made my point. I know for many of us, benzo withdrawal is hard, extremely hard, and it colors our view of the world with this gray, dull, latex coating. But that's not reality. Next time you get down on life, just remember a few of these stats. When you finish your healing from benzodiazepines, your eyes will clear, and your perspective will be less tainted, and you will see this world with bright, clear eyes and realize how lucky we really are. A few months ago, my wife shared a story with me she found online. It, it really warmed my heart when I heard it, and I thought it might lift your spirits too. Stories can do that. I'll credit the story after I tell it. The title kind of gives the plot away. <laughs> a woman who lost her father four years ago continued to text him every day just to update him about her life. In her texts, this woman shared her highs and lows, including her battle with breast cancer, her graduation from college, and her broken heart. She never got a response until one day, something appeared on her phone. It read, My name is Brad, and I lost my daughter in a car wreck August 2014, and your messages have kept me alive. When you text me, I know it's a message from God. I have wanted to text you back for years, but I didn't want to break your heart. He told her that he was sorry she had to go through this and that he was very proud of her. After receiving the text, the woman posted on Facebook, Today was my sign that everything is okay and I can let him rest. 
The article was titled, Arkansas Women Texted Father's Number Every Day After He Died. She got a response four years later, and it was written by Morgan Phillips. I believe little stories like these feed our spirit and help us see the good in the world around us. One of my favorite books on my bookshelf is quite simple. Actually, it's very simple. Its title is 14,000 Things to Be Happy About. And it's written by Barbara Ann Kipfer. The book is exactly what it says. It's a list of 14,000 things to be happy about. And I thought I'd share just a very small sampling of them with you here today. In fact, why not try this as an exercise, if you want to? Close your eyes, only if you're in a safe place, of course. And, and picture these images as you hear them. Here we go. Donut shops with perfect coffee. Sunday naps. Buying your first house. Going to bed early with a new mystery novel. Wood-burning fireplaces. Woodstock, the bird in peanuts. A square dance. The first kiss. The Art Institute in Chicago, one of my favorites. Charity and thrift shops. The teacher you remember most. A room decorated for fall with pumpkins and pine cones. Pizza and beer. Shared experiences and private jokes. Angora cats. A St. Bernard chewing through the phone cord. Spinning pennies. Playing in a closet as a child. Experimental theater. Night football games. And falling asleep on someone's lap. There, I think that's a good sampling. There are only 13,700 and some left, in case you wanted to get the book.
One of the benefits of hosting a podcast on Benzos is that I get the opportunity to talk with so many amazing people, both our listeners who I correspond with daily and our guests, which we have on this show. And that exposure leads to some unique observations. One of the key observations that I've come across and one I've shared before on this podcast was that of this new outlook on life which so many survivors seem to possess. Many of our guests on our podcast, especially those who were also dependent at some point, share a common belief. And that is that they are better off now than they were before. And much of that gain came from their new outlook on life. So often we just float through this journey without really seriously questioning where we are going. So often we follow the path laid in front of us in life. Become who someone said we should be or stayed on course in our careers or private lives because making a change was just too hard. While benzo withdrawal can be a very difficult experience for some, it can also be an opportunity. An opportunity to reevaluate your life, to take a deep look inside yourself and figure out who you are, what you really want, and most important, what really matters to you. I read a story in Dale Carnegie's book, How to Start Worrying and Start Living, the book I spoke about in my blog post last week. It was the story of a friend of his, Lucille Blake, who was living a wonderful life by all accounts, studying at the University of Arizona, teaching classes, going to parties, dances, horseback riding. Life was good and full and active. One morning, she just collapsed. The doctor said it was her heart. He said she would never be strong again, and she was given instructions for complete bed rest for a year. Lucille told Carnegie, quote, I was terror-stricken. Why did all this happen to me? What had I done to deserve it? I was bitter and rebellious, but I did as the doctor advised. Does this sound remotely familiar to any of you? Because it did to me. But then a neighbor of hers told her something that changed everything. He told her, You think now that spending a year in bed will be a tragedy. But it won't be. You will have time to think and get acquainted with yourself. You will make more spiritual growth in the next few months than you have made during all your previous life. So she took his words to heart. She resolved to think only thoughts of joy, happiness, health. She constantly reminded herself of what she was grateful for. Several years later, Lucille was living a full and active life. And she is deeply grateful for those days she spent in bed. Now, I can relate to Lucille's story, and I'm sure some of you can too. For so many of us, myself included, this experience changed us. And we now live a life we never knew we wanted, mostly because we never asked. It's the eternal paradox of life's challenges. Far too often, the worst thing that happened in our life may also be the best. When you get through with your taper and your symptoms ease, just remember that the world may look different, but that may be a good thing. For some of us, it's a very good thing. 
Another of my favorite books during my withdrawal was a book by Mark Manson. It was titled The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Well, (laughs) I can't say the rest of it here, but you get my drift. Anyway, within that book, he told a story about perspective, and it really spoke to me. While it may not be a positive story per se, it is a story with a strong message that is positive and important to hear. In 1983, a guitarist was kicked out of a band just before they signed their first record deal. No warning at all. They literally gave him a bus ticket and sent him packing. He was devastated and believed he missed his one and only opportunity. By the time he got back to L.A., he developed a plan to get even. He would start a new band. And he would become so famous, his old bandmates would be forced to watch his success for decades. They would be flipping burgers somewhere, ever regretting their long-ago decision to let him go. Fueled by anger and driven by ambition, he wrote dozens of songs and hired the best musicians available. And after a couple of years, his new band signed a record deal of their own. And the year after that, their record went gold. The guitarist's name was Dave Mustaine, and the heavy metal band he founded was called Megadeth, which would go on to sell over 25 million albums and tour the world over and over again. He is now considered one of the most brilliant and influential musicians in the history of heavy metal music. But was he happy? In a 2003 interview, Mustaine said that he considered himself of failure. Not because of his band Megadeth and what they became, but because of one other factor, one that he had absolutely no control over, but which would continue to haunt him for perhaps the rest of his life. You see, the band he got kicked out of in 1983 also did okay. The name of that band was Metallica. Metallica has sold over 180 million albums worldwide and is considered by many to be one of the greatest rock bands of all time. No matter what success he achieved, Mustaine would always be the guy who got kicked out of Metallica. The reason we focus on positive stories here is because that no matter how successful your career is, no matter how beautiful or wealthy your spouse is, no matter how amazing your kids are, no matter how many people look up to you, within every one of us is still that person who once was kicked out of a band or a club or a job or a relationship. And if we let that define us, we will never be happy. In another life not too long ago, I was a screenwriter, as I've shared with you a couple of times on this podcast. And I taught screenwriting at college and at film festivals and conferences around the country. I didn't make much money at it, but I enjoyed it. The writing was great, but it was the teaching that really fed my soul. I loved to teach, and I loved working with my students. There's a question that is commonly asked of teachers at film school, and it is this. Would you rather receive the Academy Award for a film you made Or would you rather have one of your students win and thank you in their acceptance speech? 
Well, that's a tough one. Most of us teachers chose the latter that our students receive, if we were asked publicly. But we knew in our hearts that the former is more likely the correct answer. We wanted to win that award. Still, I really wanted to believe that it would mean more to me if my student won the award. And that thought was finally put to the test. No, I've never been nominated for an Oscar, nor will I ever be, and neither have any of my students that I know of yet. But something that took place while I was teaching led me to believe that I would choose my students over me as for winning that award. While I was teaching at the Colorado Film School, I was also on the advisory board for the Vail Film Festival, where I developed their educational programming, and I would often include my students in the festival whenever I could. One year, I set up a program in conjunction with the college so that students could attend the festival and help out as volunteers. We arranged affordable housing in Vail, they got a full pass to the festival, and got credit for their service. Each year at the festival, and with most of these festivals, we would have some celebrities in attendance, usually in conjunction with an indie film they were involved in, or perhaps they were receiving an award. This year, our biggest award of the festival was going to Kevin Smith, director, producer, writer, actor, comedian, and on and on. His films include Clerks, Dogma, Chasing Amy, and many others. To my students, Kevin Smith was a god. (laughs) Few filmmakers were loved by my students more than Smith. Anyway, it was the final night and I had to go to the awards presentation to present the award for screenwriting. That night, Smith also received the festival's top honor. He gave a wonderfully funny speech in his usual offbeat manner and was a huge hit. A few of my students were working backstage and helped break down things after the show. After the night ended, I finished up a few administrative things and went on to a party. It was a party with the students at one of the condos. I loved hanging out with them. But a few key members of their group was missing. Three of the guys were late to the party. But no problem, the party went on. An hour or so later, they arrived. And they were on cloud nine. You see, it appears that after the award show, Kevin Smith was invited to go to a fancy dinner for the festival. But he decided that just wasn't his style. Instead, he'd stayed behind backstage and hung out with those three students for a few hours. While that dinner might have been nice, with good food and company, Smith chose to hang out with film students and create a memory they will never forget. At the party, these three students could not stop telling their story. And I remember this party as one of the best I ever attended. That little gesture that Kevin Smith did that night changed their lives, and it changed mine. I tell this story here because this one always makes me smile. Thanks, Kevin. I guess that solidifies my answer to the question. Watching the faces of my students that night was worth a hundred Oscars. I'd like to close with some comforting words from the professor herself, Heather Ashton. First off, for those who are worried about brain damage from this experience with benzodiazepines, I'd like to share what the professor says. I know this is a concern for so many people, and I'd just like to repeat her words here. Professor Ashton said, 
There is absolutely no evidence that benzodiazepines cause permanent damage to the brain, nervous system, or body. All the evidence shows that a steady decline in symptoms almost invariably continues after withdrawal, though it can take a long time, even several years, in some cases. And as for overall withdrawal, she said the following statement, which I find soothing. With a sufficiently gradual and individualized tapering schedule, withdrawal can be quite tolerable, even easy, especially when the user understands the cause and nature of any symptoms that do arise and is therefore not afraid. Professor Ashton made it quite clear in her manual that withdrawal can be tolerable, even easy, as she puts it, if we manage the process properly with education and effective fear and anxiety management. Whenever you doubt that this is permanent or whenever you doubt that you're not going to get better, go back and listen to the words of the professor. She knows what she's talking about. Well, I think we need to close this up here for now, even though I have hundreds more stories that I'd love to share, even some that I wrote here in the script and just didn't have the time to include today. Let me know if this was a beneficial topic for you, and if so, we will try it again. But before we get to our moment of peace, please bear with me for about 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Please feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today we are going to return to one of our favorites, healing meditation. This one is quite simple and quite effective. As I mentioned in a blog post earlier this week, our minds are incredibly powerful. And the more positive energy we can feed it, the better we feel. So our mantra today is simply, my body is healing. As you say this to yourself, remember that these symptoms are symptoms of healing. Visualizing your body becoming healthier and stronger helps it do just that. 
So let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. Then let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally. And focus on your mantra. My body is healing. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your mantra. No judgment. Continue to do this for one minute. next episode is episode 57 and it will be released next Wednesday. Thank you again for joining me today and please let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.